let's welcome Nana. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Mori Mori. Mori Mori. Most of you are just stuck in Accra. Once you leave Accra and drive a few kilometers away, that's the greeting you'll be getting in the morning. It's Mori Mori. And you respond, Mori. It's good morning. <laughs> Amen. It's a pleasure to be here today. Today is a very special day. Today is Mother's Day. Uh, I have a phenomenal mother. Uh, I spent my formative years with my grandmother. And um, when I was a teenager, one day she asked me to do something for her, and I thought it was a bother. So I didn't do it. And she looked at me and said, if I knew that when you get old, you'll be this stubborn, I would have put you in hot water the moment you were born. Fortunately, she didn't. So the old lady wasn't happy with me today. But today, I, I, I really want us to uh, think about the blessing mothers are. Uh, I want to share a sermon with you titled, The Invisibility of Womanhood. The Invisibility of womanhood. Uh, this may appear controversial to some, but I think those who are familiar uh, with my values uh, may not be too surprised. Uh, I want us to go straight to Matthew chapter 1 again. It's a very boring aspect of the Bible because it's the genealogies, especially if you read it in the King James, and begat, and begat, and begat, and begat. And they are all strange names. But verse 1 of Matthew chapter 1 says, This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David, and of Abraham. And then it begins. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. And basically, by the time you get to verse, verse 20, I think, you'd have only four women mentioned. These women are Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. You are looking at several generations of people, of families, through whom our Messiah came. And 99 point something percent of the women are invisible. Who were they? They carried these men in their wounds for nine months, did all the hard labor at home. If you were a housewife raising children or a working mom, you know motherhood is tough. And yet, you read all these chapters and the women are totally missing. Where are they? But God has a sense of humor. Uh, today, in, in the world of activism and feminism, we hear the word patriarchy a lot. And patriarchy used to be a very, very positive word. And today, it is a sensitive word. There are a lot of women all over the world who actively fight against patriarchy. But the uh, definition and view of patriarchy is not necessarily God's definition and view. Because God has a sense of humor. And what do I mean? So in this account where pretty much almost all the women in Jesus' ancestry are invisible, he deliberately drops the names, actually the names of, yeah, the names of four. The first one was a prostitute. In fact, she's called the prostitute of Jericho. 
And whether we like it or not, our Savior came from the womb of a prostitute. It is offensive to religious people because they like to, you know, it goes against the piety. But you can't talk about Jesus the Messiah and forget that <laughs> he came out of the womb of a Gentile, forgive the French hookah. But this is our Messiah. And then you move on, and the next one is Ruth. Ruth was a widow. So, And basically, by the time she gets introduced into this Jewish family, where in Ruth chapter 1, verse 17, she vows to... Um, she pretty much makes a covenant to her mother-in-law Naomi and says, wherever you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. Your God will be my God and your people will be my people. She was a stranger. And meeting Boaz was her second marriage. Sometimes you hear, you go to churches like, oh, this is not her first marriage, so uh, she shouldn't be allowed. Uh, this is, uh, oh, you know, her past is controversial. <laughs> you know, God has a sense of humor and he tells you that, well, for Ruth, this was her second marriage, but uh, Ruth's mother-in-law, uh, her story was even worse. She came into the family as a hooker. And then you move on and the next person, the next woman the Bible talks about is called Bathsheba. Bathsheba is a very complicated character because we hardly ever hear her personal voice in the matters that surround her. The first time we encounter Bathsheba, King David is supposed to go to war, but he's lazing around. He was a comfortable man. He was a bored man. There is no person more vulnerable than a man who is bored. The next most vulnerable person is a man who is stressed. So for the wives and women, uh, this is good information for you. <laughs> but Bathsheba is taking a shower and King David sees her and he calls for her and he sleeps with her and she gets pregnant. To cover this, her husband gets murdered by David. And then she goes ahead to marry the king. The first child dies but in God's mercy, Solomon comes out of this bizarre relationship. But we hardly ever hear her voice so much. So sometimes I don't know. Is she a rape victim or is she an opportunist? Who is Bathsheba? Or, or maybe she's both. She was married to a common soldier. And all of a sudden, she can be married to the commander-in-chief. Or maybe not. Maybe it was the extent of the patriarchy and the the autocracy of, of, you know, of the kingdom that made her cower. We don't fully know. But the main point the scripture is making is actually it doesn't really matter. What matters is that whether she's a victim or she's just a calculating, conniving opportunist, God's mercy could reach her. Amen. The next person we meet in this genealogy is Mary the Virgin. Mary had never known any man, according to scripture. She was about 15, 16 when the angel appeared to her. 
teenage pregnancy. <laughs> the angel appeared to her and said, you know, Mary, Mary, thou art blessed among women. The Lord is with you. You're going to conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel and he shall be the savior, blah, 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 blah. And every Christmas we reenact this story. But the thing about Mary is that she was not qualified for anything. In fact, she said, she said, how can this be since I know no man? I've known no man. I'm a virgin. What does it mean to be a virgin? How many times do opportunities come up for which we are not qualified? We have no experience. We are virgins. How many times do we look at the doors God is opening for us and think, you know, I don't speak French and normally for this job you have to be bilingual or you know, I don't have any qualifications in finance and this position requires that, you know, the, for, the person leaving the position used to be finance director for this, this and, and that. How many times do we look at the doors God opens for us and feel totally unqualified? In fact, how many times have we said no to God because we thought we are doing the responsible thing? Let somebody more qualified get a role. How many times do we get called to responsibility, you know, to assignments and feel that, oh, for this kind of assignment, somebody stronger will be better. Somebody taller will be better. Somebody shorter will be better. Somebody, you know, we would always make these excuses and yet we meet this 15, 16 year old girl called Mary and she says, I am totally not qualified to be a mother. I have never been with a man. But if the Lord says I can, I will. I'll make myself available. Amen. And so, in this long narration where women appear invisible in scripture, basically God gives us every kind of woman we'll meet. And he says that no matter what kind of woman you are, I have a place for you. I have a place for you in humanity. I have a destiny for you that has nothing to do with your past. If you can just count on me, if you can just open up to me, if you, if you can look to me and not look to the circumstances and not look to the culture and not look to the history, I can make something beautiful out of your story. Amen. One of the most fascinating women in scripture can be found in Genesis chapter 16. Actually, I think she appears a few chapters before. Her name was Hagar. She was an Egyptian woman. Hagar, the Egyptian woman, used to be a servant for the king of Egypt. And then the king of Egypt saw a pretty woman called Sarah and basically took her, put her in her harem, and then discovered later she was another man's wife. And God threatened him. So he released her. But in the process of releasing her, he had already paid a dowry for her. And as part of that dowry, Hagar finds herself a slave to Sarah the Jew. And then Sarah was having problems having children. So one day she walks up to the husband and says, you know, I have this servant. I can't have children. By, the Mes by Mesopotamian law, if my servant gets pregnant and she's delivering, and I sit there and the baby is placed on my lap. The baby becomes mine by law. So why don't you just 
marry her, have, have sex with her, and, you know, have children by her, and the children will be mine. And in this process, you notice, if you go to Genesis 16, you discover that the idea of consent, you know, the idea of does Hagar want to be married to Abraham, does Hagar want to be part of this plan, doesn't even come up because she had no voice. She was invisible. She was something to be used to suit somebody's pleasure, to fulfill another person's dream. She gets pregnant, and then by the time we get to verse 13, you know, now that she has a child, she thought she could rub shoulders, so she gets kicked out of Abraham's house. And she's starving in the desert. Her baby is dying of thirst. And then an angel appears to her. And she's the first woman in the Bible, in fact, the very first person in the Bible to give God a name. When God appeared to Moses, he tells Moses who he is. Hagar, this Egyptian woman who is not qualified, who is misused because of her status and thrown out and nobody cared how she would survive in the desert with her baby, gives God a name. And she calls God the God who sees me. Amen. You may be here and deep down you feel invisible. For how much you've contributed to a relationship, to some job, to some cause, to whatever, you found yourself being overlooked, being scorned, just used and discarded, thrown away like a tin of can. And this morning I want to share with you this very simple sermon on Mother's Day. That it doesn't matter how much people try to make you invisible, God sees you. He's Jehovah Elroy, the God who sees you. Amen. It is very frustrating to live our lives looking for the applause of men, the applause of people. It is nice when it comes. But what if it doesn't come? It is better to fix our eyes and our attention on the one who sees us. See, sometimes, in fact, throughout script, the, the Bible is very clear on many things. you know, And it's very clear in the Bible that the invisibility of women was not an accident. It was a design of culture. In Esther chapter 1, we read the story of you know, the king throwing a big party and his calling his wife. You know, he had a party for 180 days. Huh? And the Bible says they, alcohol every, they were drinking every day. As a sign of the king's generosity, he, he, he made a law that nobody should limit the flow of alcohol. And at some point, the queen also decided to throw parties. And in the seventh day into her party, the king calls for her. Think about it. Everybody is drunk. And she says, no, I'm not showing up. I tell the king I'm not coming. She's drunk. They're all drunk. And then the men who advise the king tell him, listen, 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 listen. This thing Vashti has done. If you allow her to get away with it, all the women in this province will think it is okay to disrespect your husband. So make a decree that Vashti should never come into your presence again. So that the husbands will be secure. 
they will feel secure. This is scripture. This is the Bible telling you. So this is a group of seven men who are counselors to, to the king, telling the king that for your wife refusing to show up in your presence, make a decree so that no woman, no wife will even think of disrespecting her husband, no matter the rank of the husband. You know? So there are systems that are designed by people to suppress others. The Bible is very clear on these things. Sometimes it's hard to fight a system. Some people are born to fight systems. Maybe you are not. Whatever kind of person you are, whatever kind of woman you are, I want to tell you that God sees you. Amen. And he has a plan for your life. And if you look to him, your face will be radiant. He says, before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I had ordained you. God has a purpose for your life. And it doesn't matter what culture you find yourself in, what system you find yourself in, the purpose of God for your life will come to pass as long as you align with him. Amen. I want us to bow down our heads and in prayer. You may be the Rahab in this story. You may be the Ruth in this story. You may be Bathsheba. You may be Mary. You may be Hagar. Whatever the story of your life is, the good thing is that God sees you and he has a plan for your life. Maybe you're here, you're a mother, grandmother, and you feel unappreciated. You feel you've wasted your years investing in these children. Maybe you look forward to becoming a mother someday. I don't know where you are. I don't know how you feel. The beautiful thing is that God sees you. Jehovah Elroy, the God who sees me, he sees you. I want you to commit your life to him this morning. Sometimes we rebel out of frustration. Sometimes, you know, we know that we are not where he wants us to be. But it's because we are angry. It's because we feel used. We feel we've been abused, mistreated. Even if this is how you feel, he sees you and his thoughts towards you are good. The Bible says, I know the thoughts I have towards you. They are thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. He says, I will neither leave you nor forsake you. He says, I'm with you all way, even to the end of time. As Corinthian Moon once said, he said, God has a microscopic and telescopic interest in you. This morning, open up your heart to him. Surrender your life to him. Thank him for how much he loves you. Thank him for this truth that your destiny is in his hands. King David in his old age wrote a, a psalm and he said, I have been young and now I am old. And I have never seen the righteous forsaken 
nor their children begging for bread. Maybe you are worried about the future of your children. Maybe your own future. God has never forsaken the righteous. You will not end up begging for bread. Your children will not beg for bread. He loves you. He cares about you. He sees you. He sees you. He sees you. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness and for your mercy. We thank you for the gift of motherhood. Motherhood started when you saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. So you created the perfect solution. So let me create a helpmeet for him, a suitable partner. Father, we thank you for the gift of womanhood and the gift of motherhood. Bless our mothers, bless our women, bless our daughters, Lord. And for any of them who feels invisible, who feels maligned, sidelined, forgotten, abandoned, Father, may your spirit of grace touch them this morning. May your love overwhelm them. And may they know that you love them. In Jesus' precious name, amen.